Welcome everybody to the Safina side to the uh, Safina Society live stream. Nothing but facts. I totally butchered that this time around. What is it? Welcome everybody to the nothing but facts. What do I usually say? Oh, welcome everybody to the nothing but facts, the Safina Society live stream. And where, when I say nothing but facts, I mean facts are what's going to set us free from conjecture. All right. But today is finally we got some snow. Alhamdulillah. It's a day in which the snow has come down. It's not sticking yet, but it is coming down in huge flakes. Such a gorgeous thing. Such a romantic thing is the snow. Right. You got to love the snow. Uh, and on a, sun, a, a Monday morning, or a Monday afternoon, in which uh, the month of Rajab had come in last night. And the month of Rajab is one of those things where you wanted to make sure you take advantage of the dua on that night, because it is from many books of hadith stating that the ibadah, the dua in the first night of Rajab is maqbul. Next announcement is that we're shifting things a little bit. We're moving Shema'il on Mondays, because that's what makes sense. Shema'il to be on Mondays, because everything that Sira related is, um, is to be done on Mondays, just because the Prophet wasallam was asked, should I fast on Monday? The Prophet said, tufihi. So therefore, things related to the Prophet wasallam happen on Monday. We're on the... Age of the Prophet, Sinni Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Babu majafi Sinni Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That's going to be segment one. Segment two, we're going to have Mu'in coming on to talk about AI and it updates on AI. What are the facts on the ground on a, what do we know as investigators and police officers like to say, or um, investigators say, what do we know? What are the facts? And then what are the concerns or the theories surrounding these facts? So that'll be segment two. Segment three will take your questions and answers as usual on a Monday, and that'll take us right up to three o'clock. So let's get going straight up. Babu majafi sinni Rasulillahi sallallahu alaihi wa alihi wasallama. Haddathana Ahmad ibn Mani' Haddathana Rauh ibn Ubada Haddathana Zakaria ibn Ishaq Haddathana Amr ibn Dinar an ibn Abbas. قال مكث النبي صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم بمكة ثلاث عشرة سنة يوحى إليه وبالمدينة عشرا وتوفي وهو ابن ثلاث وستين. This is the dominant opinion uh, on the matter. Because remember, in those days, people didn't always keep track of things. People kept track. We know when the Prophet was born because Allah made it, in it on the year in which a massive event with tawatur occurred, which is amal fil, and and so we know that. And then they used to count how many months or whatever. Everyone would count differently how many winters, whatever uh, people people would count. Well, that actually wouldn't work in the lunar calendar, right? So you would just know that year and how many muharrams have passed or things like that. Okay. Some of you are putting questions up uh, on Instagram. I will take the questions after we finish this segment. Uh, and between getting Moeen on, I'll take some questions. And then after Moeen, we'll take questions again. 
Maureen is the guest. He's a person who has a great interest in AI and is going to talk to us about it. I'm fine with that. Haddathana Muhammad ibn Bashar, Haddathana Muhammad ibn Jafar, An Shu'aba, An Abi Ishaq, An Amr ibn Sa'd, An Jarir, An Muawiyah, Annahu Samiyah, Samiyahu Yaqtubu Qala, Mata Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam, wa huwa ibnu thalathin wa sittin, wa Abu Bakr wa Umar, wa ana ibnu thalathin wa sittin. So Abu Bakr and Umar also died at the same age as the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Because Abu Bakr was two years younger than the Prophet and he died two years after the Prophet. Sayyidina Umar was 13 years younger than the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and passed away 12 or 13 years after him. Peace be upon him. Sayyidina Uthman, however, lived much longer life. He lived into his 80s. Next hadith. Haddathana Hussein ibn Mahdi al-Basri. Haddathana Abdul Razzaq. An ibn Jurayj and an al-Zuhri. An Urwa. An Aisha. Anna Nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallama mata wa hubnu thalathin wa sittina sana. So why are they bringing the same narration over and over? Different sayings. The same thing. Showing you that many have said this. Not just one person who have said this, who has said this, or two people. Many. Many people have said this. Okay, and that's the point here. Many have said this. وَحَدَّثَنَا أَحْمَدُ بِنُ مَنِيعٍ عَنْ يَعْقُوبِ بِنُ إِبْرَهِيمَ الدَّوْرَقِي قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا إِسْمَعِيلِ بِنُ عَلَيَّ عَنْ خَالَدِ بِنُ الْحَذَّاءِ أَنْ بَأَنَا عَمَّارِ مَوْلَى بَنِي هَاشِمْ قَالَ سَمِعْتُ إِبْنَ عَبَّاسٍ يَقُولُ تُوفِيَ رَسُولُ says 65. So Ibn Abbas is the Tarjuman al-Quran. He is the chief interpreter of the Quran from the companions. The Prophet named him that. Tarjuman al-Quran. The translator, meaning the interpreter of the Quran. Yet nonetheless, on this matter, we say that he's not the one who's right. Okay. The one, the one, the the answer is right is um, that he was 63 years of age, not 65. Somebody can be the most noble person you know. They can make a mistake. They could say something wrong. Right? Uh, a Shafi honored Imadic, right or wrong. He then went on to author a whole different philosophy of Islamic law, usul. Completely different. Or I should say methodology. Philosophy is a bit different. But the methodology of deriving rulings, completely different. Is that supposed to be like offensive or something? No. Some say that he waited until Madik passed away first so that he could maintain the adab and not hurt his feelings or, or, or not affect Madik in that way. Maybe, maybe not. But there's nothing wrong with that. So nobody sh- So when people have shiuch and that sheikh has an opinion and you have a better one and you're qualified now, Shafi was qualified, then you feel free to formulate it. I was just talking to Sheikh Rami and he said that Murabit al-Hajj, one of his students wrote a rad on him. A response to Murabit al-Hajj. And we were talking about how there are some people that have an ideological group think. They will never, one of their shiuch will say something that's out of bounds. It happens because he's a human being. Nobody will say anything. Right? That's a problem right there. 
that means that all your other refutations are insincere. Your, all your other refutations, the sincerity is not yet there. If you're truly sincere to the book and the sunnah, that's what we follow, that's it. Then you have to admit when you're wrong. You have to admit when your, your sheikh is wrong. Because the book and the sunnah, if the book and the sunnah can be known, then the accuracy of your shiuch can be known, right or wrong. You never follow a sheikh because, oh, he has a secret source of knowledge. That's nonsense, always. Okay? Legislation of aqidah and fiqh, political matters, worldly matters, is never, ever going to be based upon somebody has a, a secret source of knowledge. Right? Oh, he's got, he sees visions that we don't know. He knows the future that we don't know. So he has wisdoms that we don't know. That, will, that may be the case, but it will never be the source of our legislation. It'll never be the source of a fatwa. It'll never be the source of a political action. Okay? This stuff will never be the source. We have to understand this. Secondly, if we can know the Quran and the Sunnah and the Sharia, then we can know the accuracy of our own shiuch eventually. You will come to that point, right? You can study with somebody. In the beginning, you, have, you, you really have no knowledge at all. He is the only source of knowledge that you have. Okay? You can bring in Mu'in whenever you are, and Mu'in can even pitch into this discussion before we get to the AI. Good. Okay, good. No problem. So we're 20 minutes out until we have the AI discussion. But for now, this concept is extremely important in Islam. The difference between a student and a disciple. A student will eventually come to learn the sources of his teacher. The student will eventually come to learn, and even if he advances will be able to assess his teacher. But the disciple always remains his head bowed and he never looks at his teacher. That's the difference. That's the difference between a student and a disciple. When we're studying aqidah and fiqh, anyone who advances can look at the, at the uh, methodology of his teacher and the conclusion and make an assessment. And that does not decrease from the teacher's rank, not one iota, what decreases of his rank if, is, is if he, A, does a moral wrong, like he does something haram, for example. Or it decreases from his rank if another situation where he becomes arrogant and refuses to admit his error. Or a decrease in his rank if he deviates from something that is what we call qat'i, something that should never even be a question. Then we'd say, yeah. Okay, that's something that we, uh, that's a deviation. But, for, for you have a, have a teacher, and that teacher taught you everything you know about a certain subject. And you advance to another teacher, to another teacher. And then you come back to your original teacher and say, okay, well, he actually made a mistake here. That, how does that decrease from his rank? Did you take him as a teacher because he was masum? There are groups out there that refute the, 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 the right and the wrong is not determined by the book and the sun. It's really determined by the, their teacher. And that's a problem. And that's where you get, you have to close yourself off from the ummah. And anytime you see even a Sunni, there are the concept of a Sunni cult. Yes, they're upon the sunnah, but they don't, they, the, the, the treatment they give to their teacher versus the rest of the ummah forces them to cut off everyone else. And they have to cut off everybody else. Right? That is that type of ideological cultish behavior. That is a problem. Okay. A major problem. Right, so 
we all have to realize when you take on a teacher, you do not take him on as being masoom. You take him on because he's willing to teach you. He went out of his way. He learned something that you didn't learn and benefited you. And you owe them respect for life. Unless he deviates completely, goes crazy. But otherwise, if he makes a mistake on a small matter, a political decision, a practical decision, or he just made a mistake in fiqh, even in aqidah, in the furu'a. So what? People make mistakes. And as he said, and uh, uh, Sheikh Rami said, Murabit al-Hajj was strict on being respected by his uh, students. Yet one of his students wrote a rad. He wrote a response. Think that fatwa of my Sheikh is wrong. That doesn't take anything away from it. Harun told me that that Sheikh al-Maghili and Sheikh Zuhair they go at it all the time on fatwa, on machine slaughtered chicken. They just differ all the time on machine slaughtered chicken. They differ all the time on this subject. What's wrong with that? And one goes, okay, good, there's more chicken for me. And the other one goes, enjoy your meta. They're even joking about it. Because it's a matter of dhan. It's a matter of speculation. You're thinking. If I'm thinking and you're thinking, then my thought and my methodology is correct. And your methodology is correct. And you arrive at different conclusions. Obviously, some perceptions are going to be different along the way. So you're going to arrive at different conclusions. You're not blameworthy. And we're saying all of this, you wonder why we're saying this. We're saying this because here we have Ibn Abbas saying the Prophet was 65. Previous to that, Sayyidina Aisha said he was 63. In another one, Ibn Abbas says 63. So, so what, guess what, what probably happened? Yeah, Ibn Abbas probably changed his position. When you have two narrations from Ibn Abbas, one saying 65, one saying 63. By deep, without a doubt, he changed his position. Obviously, he changed his position, right? It's okay to change your position. Wayne is it? All right, let's finish this chapter real quick. Haddathana Muhammad ibn Bashar wa Muhammad ibn Aban. Qala haddathana Mu'adh ibn Hisham. Haddathani Abi an Qatada an Hassan an Daghfal ibn Hanzala. Anna Nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallama. Qubida wa hu ibn Khamsin wa Sittin. There you go. Another one, Sahabi said 65. Okay. Let's see the next one. On Anas ibn Malik, Anas spent a lot of time with the Messenger, peace be upon him, and lived long after him so he can gather information. What does he say? Kana sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallama. Laysa bil bain The Prophet, peace be upon him, was not too tall. Wala bil qasir. And he wasn't short. Wala bil abyad al amhaq. Nor was he pale white. Wala bil adam. Nor was he black, like very dark. Wala bil jad al qatat. So his skin was between the two. So whatever two sides you have, he was in the middle. His hair, neither was very curly. Nor was it perfectly straight. Allah sent him when he was 40 years old, at the beginning of his 40th year. He stayed in Mecca for, four, for 10, year, uh, 10 years. And 10 years in Medina. So he concluded 60 years. What did Anas miss there? Three years of the secret dawah. Right? There was not in his hair or his beard more than 20 
white hairs. Less than 20. The number of white hairs in his hair and his beard was less than 20. Okay. So what do we have about that? Anas ibn Malik giving another number. And what do we say about that? That's It's a mistake. He missed the three years of secret dawah that was just to the family. Okay. There's nothing wrong with saying your shiuch made a mistake. If we're here making saying a sahabi, sahabi, the sahaba are not their rank because everything they ever said was right. The sahaba are not what they are because every single uh, uh, thing they said or action they took was correct. It was not because they lived in the desert. They're, they're, the sahaba are not noble because they lived in the desert, because they were hungry, because that. No, it's because of their sidq and their istiqamah on the path of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. That's what they were. That's what they were upon. So therefore, say, say okay, no, that's his narration. That's not the, what we're going by. If you go to Omar ibn Abdul Aziz, what he told to, um, who was it? What he, uh, Omar ibn Abdul Aziz, subhanAllah, his name is skipping my mind. Uh, secret, subhanAllah, what was his name? SubhanAllah, I don't know how I'm skipping his name because uh, I haven't eaten. So, um, Omar ibn Abdul Aziz, when he said, gather the hadith of the Prophet, leave off the strictness of Ibn, Ab, uh, uh, Ibn Umar, the leniency of Ibn Abbas, and the odd statements of Ibn Mas'ud. Okay? Ibn, uh, subhanAllah. Muhammad bin Muslim. What's he, he known by? How is it skipping my mind right now? Muhammad ibn Muslim. Okay, anyway, skipping my mind. That's what he said about the Sahaba, about what? Their fatawa. They had fatawa. They had, they, they had fatawa on matters that were uh, up for discussion. So, so they concluded. And he's a tabi. And he's saying, this one, he, his, it was too strict. This one is too lenient. Strict and lenient relative to what? Relative to the opinion of the people, of the other scholars. Right? Not strict and lenient relative to like some culture. So if they're saying that about the Sahaba, and that's not anywhere near uh, a wrong action for them to do. They're saying about the judgments. So then what about your ulama? When they say something that should be altered or should be corrected, and 99% of the ummah is on one wavelength, your sheikh on this wavelength is here. You, if you think that you follow him because he's masum, you've got issues. All right. Let's go to segment two. Before we answer that, what I just said about the secret dawah means that the dawah of the Prophet ﷺ for the first period of time was just his family and who he selected. It was not an open announcement to everybody. Okay, so he was gathering first, the Prophet ﷺ was, uh, was gathering first the initial core of Sahaba. All right. Okay, um, is there some big deal here? Kevin Lee, do we know him? UFC fighter entered Islam. Very good. Kevin Lee, since being public about my conversion as a Muslim, I've had a lot of people reach out to give support. I see all the messages and I calls and I feel the love. Allah always had a plan and I'm glad I'm on the right path. And he is friends with Firas Zahabi, who is a, a UFC fighter. Instructor. with more Muslims and, and, and uh, me forming like more of a, a, a bond with, with these people. Uh, I 
I've accepted Islam, right? I, I've converted over to, to, to Islam uh, and really accepted my place in life as a Muslim. And just there and alone, no. kind of... All right, very good. That's nice. Next, let's go to Moeen. We have Moeen here today. Um, I've accepted Islam. Okay. Moeen is uh, looking there sort of like he's coming out of Star Wars. This is technically... Is your mic on, Moeen? Assalamu alaikum. Can you hear me? Waalaikum salam. We got you, yes. All right. Moeen, you're up. Talk to us. What do you think? What is going on? In terms of uh, AI, first, I would like to ask you a question. The facts about AI. Ibn Shahab is okay. Thank you, Muhammad bin Muslim. Uh, I'm sorry, Ryan had uh, the name that was given was the famous legend of his time, Ibn Shahab al Zuhri, Muhammad bin Muslim, who Omar ibn Abdulaziz said, gather us the Sunnah, leave off the, ex- uh, the, the, the excess strictness of Ibn Omar the leniency of Ibn Abbas, and the odd statements of Ibn Mas'ud. He's talking about their fatawa, their judgments, and he is assessing their judgments. Oh, how can he assess their judgments? Because we're a religion of sources, textual sources, which we can all understand. If you understand them well, you can eventually come to uh, even assess your teacher. So that's nothing wrong with that in our religion. We don't honor people because they're sinless or they never make mistakes in academia. No, we honor people by their piety, their longevity, right? Things like that. All right, so let's now move on to back to AI. So first, I would like to ask you, Moin, the facts. Number two, the concerns. All right. So to get started, I think you... Br- I've been brought on to talk about AI, right? Yeah. But AI is broad, right? It's like trying to bring on a doctor to talk about, you know, medicine in general. There's a lot in medicine, so we have to dive deeper, right? And I'm not an expert on AI, but I do work with uh, technology, and I've been a technologist, I, I, I suppose you could say, for most of my career. And there's a lot of chatter that's been going on about AI over the last six i mean in the tech world has been going on for a while but in the lay people community who are not aware it's been going on for the last few months especially with the advent of chatbot or chat gpt which was announced by OpenAI uh back in december and and this was a free this is and was a free tool that's open to the public and it really shocked people especially people have never seen uh what some of the advances in technology have been over the last you know, 15 years, if you're coming onto this and all of a sudden you log on to chatbot or you log on to Midjourney, which I'll talk about in a bit, or you log on to any of these newer AI generation tools, as we can say, uh, it's surprising and it's shocking to a lot of people. Now, your next question was, you know, what are the facts? Okay. So the facts are that I'm very hesitant on saying that AI is something that we should be worried about, but simultaneously, I'm also hesitant on saying it's something that we shouldn't be worried about. Because at the end of the day, right, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who controls all things. And even the invention and creation of AI is from humans and, and you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has allowed this to happen, right? So that's, it's there in the world. So now we need to contend with it, right? Mm-hmm. Now, 
how do we need to worry, right? Because uh, there, there's two types of worries. One is sort of this existential type worry. What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to me, my family? Look, even in a nuclear, you know, war, if you're meant to be taken care of, you're going to be taken care of. So let's, let's not even discuss the possibility of what's going to happen to you. The answer is probably nothing, right? Uh, you know, even in the worst of times, if nothing's going to happen to you, nothing's going to happen to you, right? So if, if Allah has willed nothing to happen to you, nothing will happen to you. So let's just leave that off the discussion, right? Let's assume that nothing will happen to you. And now let's talk about what are the practical things that may be impacted in your personal life and with your family and the world with the growing use of artificial intelligence technologies. So I'll stop there and then see if you want to ask any questions. I, I just want you to, to separate between AI and self-learning. So AI is a broad category and there's, there's subcategories. So when we say AI, it's a, it's an easy to use term because what is artificial intelligence, right? Because intelligence, if we're defining it is the ability to, be able to process and think and make conclusions, right? So for example, is a, is a computer intelligent the way that a human being is? Not yet, right? Uh, because we would say that a human being is able to reason at a far, at a much more complex level, right? At, 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 a, at a capability that is far further than a computer. Mm -hmm. Now, someone may, what may say, and this is, the belief of many people such as Sam Harris who believe that human beings are just you know, neurons being fired and it's all just chemical reactions, right? There is no separation between a human being and a machine. All you need to do is map all of the data points and beliefs and behaviors that a human being has and you can all map it all back to data and you could simulate a human being, right? This is the belief amongst most materialist naturalists, especially in the AI community. So that's why it's called artificial intelligence, because there's this, the overarching terms is that eventually we'll reach this point of intelligence where we can essentially simulate a human being. Now it's artificial in that it's not real intelligence, right? And so machine learning is a subcategory within artificial intelligence. Machine learning is different types of algorithms that are used in order to do AI, you can say. So for example, um, there's different types of algorithms out there and machine learning algorithms. We don't need to go into all the nuances of that. It doesn't really matter. But people use those techniques and algorithms in order to do certain things. Now, someone might say, well, what's the difference between regular programming and machine learning? Isn't it just advanced, advanced programming? Well, yes, of course, it's just advanced programming. Yeah. But that's as... That's almost as simple as saying, what's the difference between, uh, you know, bits on a, you know, motherboard and, you know, going on to Gmail. It's like, well, they're, yeah, they're both programming, but one is obviously something that has much more impact in the real world and is far more complicated and complex, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so it's not the same thing. So saying that, oh, AI is just advanced programming. It's like, well, yeah, sure. So is a cell phone, right? Um, but it obviously makes a difference. So let me let me look at it this way. So Chat GPT made by OpenAI. Yes. Made by OpenAI, which is an Elon Musk company. Okay. Yes. That's irrelevant. I'm just pointing that out. 
they have a database of information. Okay, where we got that, we don't know. Okay, and they've basically been able to program this thing to simulate human writing. Correct? So, AI is, is simply mimicking basically what it sees already and finding solutions or, or, or gathering the data and then fashing it together. So a, chat GPT is one level up from, from Google essentially because Google, you can see the information, you have to put it together yourself. You see the information a lot slower at the pace of you clicking and reading, right? You then have to synthesize the information on your own. So ChatGPT took this one level up, so that's why it is, in fact, a Google killer, really, because it now is gathering far more information than you could have ever, and it's synthesizing it in a way that you could read, and you don't have to worry, right? So um, if Facebook arguments, Twitter arguments caused a lot of people to study, right? A lot of people would not s read or study unless someone bothered them with a post. They go then, they read, they research, they come back with a really fancy answer, okay? But they had to research it themselves, they had to synthesize it themselves. ChatGPT now has done that for them. Is that, that's an accurate summary of what's going on, right? It's, it's accurate in that it does synthesize information. It's whether that information, information for you. So yeah, whether that information is accurate or not, is yeah. it depends, the, right? yeah, it's a different <laughs> but I can filter it. I could say, only tell me what uh, Encyclopedia Britannica says about um, rhinoceroses, right? I could do that. On ChatGPT. Yes, you can filter stuff. Yeah, depending. So it doesn't, right now it doesn't have access to the internet, right? It doesn't have access to the internet. It has access to what they fed it, right? Which is a bunch That's of- That's correct. And it's been, it's been trained essentially on the internet and massive amounts of data, right? Yeah. So one thing that, when we look at every AI, we have to ask the methodology of the AI and the resource, the sources, the sourcing and the method. So with ChatGPT, we don't know what the founders d deemed knowledge worthy of feeding this thing. Because if, 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 if I came and I got a, a reliable source that said, here we're going to put all of the, let's say, chef a fiqh in, 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 a, in a database. And, and a human being came out and said, yes, we got the Shafi fake. It was reliable. We tested it. We made sure the, the PDFs and the books and everything were reliable. Here it is. Now you can go use it as a search engine. Wonderful. We all accept that. And scholars have been using these search engines forever. Okay. You all hear the construction? It's very light. Okay, good. So all that this AI does is gather that information faster than you ever, ever gathered it and then synthesizes it. Now, here's now my next question. What is the methodology of synthesizing? So if I said uh, chat GPT and, or, or my hyper, uh, uh, my example of um, chef a uh, chatbot, what, is, what things break would do in the chef a school according to the dominant opinion of a Nawi al-Rafi'i? Okay. It's going to go to Noe and Rafe. What if I didn't put that? What if I didn't put a filter? So that's why I'm asking the method. We need to know for every chatbot, the methodology, the sources, and then the methodology of how it's synthesizing things. 
So this depends a little bit on how, on, on the model that it's been trained on, right? So for example, if you mentioned, you know, a specific book is not, or specific text is not in this model, then it won't be able to reference it. It's just not something that it'll be able to do. Now, ChatGPT is known to do something called hallucination, right? Which is that it will imagine that that thing is there and it will just hallucinate what that answer is and give it back to you. Right. And other models, I know uh, Google has one that, they, that, might, that might come out called Sparrow. Uh, sorry, not Google. Um, DeepMind has one called Sparrow and uh, Google has one called Lambda. And they also do similar sort of hallucinations. Right. And this is a, a problem that AI is that the AI community is dealing with. Right. Is how do you deal with this hallucination aspect of uh, how this information is presented. Because the way it really presents information is it, it reads character by character, right? Okay, I read the letter A, and then I match it up to uh, what that A is supposed to mean. And then I, 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 un I understand from that what is the next letter that comes. And then from that, it understands what a word is. It's similar to how a human being would understand a word. And then based on all that, it's now able to go look up, oh, it's like, let's say it's, it's the sentence, uh, the fox jumped over the road, uh, the, the fox jumped over the log, right? It reads the fox and then it goes and it tries to understand what is a fox it looks in its database of all these things. And then from that, it's like, okay, the fox jumped. Okay. What does jumped mean? So then it attaches it back to that fox. And so this is how it would construct this entire understanding of this sentence. Yeah. And similarly, if you asked it, let's say in fit, I want this thing. It's going to understand that question based on those words. And then it'll go try to look up based on its understanding. Now it may understand incorrectly. That's why, uh, in the modern iteration of uh, these the, these models, you have to be pretty specific in what you're looking for because otherwise, if you're not, you're going to cause you know it to hallucinate or give well, you that's something. That's why. That's exactly it. That's why you need to be able to the method the sources and the methodology, right? The the methodology that you can add filters. That's really great. But yeah. So, but besides that, the sources is the other question. So right now, chatbot is just like a general, somebody's saying something? Hafiz is here. Oh, there you go. Now we got, now we got the guy. We had, now we have the real guy, you know, yeah. he's the, he's the guy who actually can talk about the details of how these things work. That's your mic. Okay. So that's how, that's how these things work. All that's fine. Let's go into the science fiction stuff. <laughs> Uh, AI develops and grows and starts to manage bigger and bigger things. But there has to always be a manual override to AI, right or wrong. Okay. The science fiction part of this thing asks the question, can AI override the manual override? Can it realize that this is a stopgap, right, and override that manual override? And then you have all your Netflix movies after that. Is that something that's pure fiction or is it even possible? At the moment. So go ahead, go ahead if he's slowing. Can you, can, is he loud? Okay. Right now, uh, it's not feasible, but at some point, um, I can see scenarios where mm -hmm. it will become, it, it may become plausible. So, um, so right now it is not even a scenario. Not even a scenario. Not even. Okay. So cancel right away. Cancel right away. Yep. Good. Now, next question is. Um, by, by, by the way, just for uh, can we can we introduce Nafiz as well, uh, just so that the viewers know 
some of is, is out of Harvard. What did you do in Harvard? I did uh, research uh, with artificial intelligence and computational biology. Okay, as for what program? Am I or PhD? Uh, that is my postdoctoral work. Postdoctoral. Postdoctoral. So after a PhD. So this is the one of these. You're, yeah. Yeah. He's the guy. He's the guy you want to yeah. bring on. Yes, he knew. Connaboy? Oh, Frenchie. Yeah. Yes. So we got postdoc at Princeton and AI, part of our crew. We got postdoc from Harvard out of, in our crew. So we got a, mashallah, really good crew here. And uh, so Nafiz, you, so where did you do your doc? Uh, Iowa State University. Okay. But then you went to Harvard and you studied, and you studied AI there. Mm -hmm. What conclusions do you have that could benefit regular people? From my postdoctoral work? Yeah. So uh, basically I worked there uh, with CRISPR, which is uh, genome editing. So um, you can, you can uh, genome editing, with genome editing, you can change people's DNA uh, with cell, uh, in your cell. Um, and like you, where, like before they're born? No, after they're born. So, so, uh, now. so, so yeah, now. So mainly, mainly we were focused on uh, diseased cells. Yes. So, so, so suppose for leukemia, you might see, might have seen the news recently that there is a girl, girl seven years old yeah. from UK. Uh, she was terminal with leukemia. Then they used genome editing to change the only DNA, DNA part that was responsible uh, for that leukemia. Now she is completely cancer-free. Amazing. Without any radiation, without any nothing, chemo. Nothing. It's, it's a technique called base editing. Base editing. Is everyone hearing this? Their, their audio is going through, right? Yeah. Yep, you're good. SubhanAllah. That is amazing. Okay, keep going. Yeah, so my work was basically how we can use these latest AI works to make uh, genome editing more efficient. Well, people are going to go and make themselves redheads one day, blondes the next day. Right. <laughs> How does that work? Yeah. So the uh, so there, there's uh, there's the ethics part come come in. Well, yeah, because so. I'm going straight to human instinct. Okay, I'm better now. Let's use this technology for a consumer purpose for for just a personal yeah whimsical whimsical purpose. Let me make myself blue eyed today. Yeah. So there's basically so it's a big discussion in the scientific community. Yeah. So for example, you can go uh, into a woman's body and while she is pregnant and change the embryos. Uh, DNA yeah. to, to make it uh, not susceptible to some diseases. Or so the discussion is whether we should even do it or not. So for example, uh, a Chinese scientist who went rogue and uh, he changed the uh, two babies' DNA while they were um, still in, the, in their mother's yeah. uh, body. Um, and it, it, it sparked a big uh, controversy. And later that scientist like literally vanished because it was so controversial. The Chinese government, like... They disappeared they, him. They disappeared him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, can you tell me something? What did he change? Their so, gender? No, so, so it was... Uh, I forgot the specific uh, disease, but there's a... There's a um, oh, uh, it was for, for their health. For their health. So, okay, so, so it's so not a even... A specific uh, yeah. part is responsible for their disease. So he went there and changed that. But the thing is, um, you don't know if uh, changing that particular part permanently would render what uh, side effects later in their that's life. That's the problem. So that's where the ethics, you got to do this on lambs and monkeys and cats and dogs. Yeah, yeah. And even if, that's ethical question, right? Even that's an ethical question. And yeah. also, uh, they, they don't even always transfer to human. Of so, course, yeah, yeah. It doesn't even so. transfer. Now, is the mapping of genetics complete? Uh, the DNA, the yes. It's yes, complete. It's so complete. you know exactly where... 
the DNA is for nails, for hair, for skin, for bone many structure. Of the, many of the phenotypic traits. We call them phenotypic traits. Yeah, yeah. We, we know like where, where they are. Yeah. Okay, so that makes the editing, you, the possibilities are endless. Endless, yes. Okay. And you could do this, what do you mean to do it while their person is alive? That means you transform their hair color, their hair thickness, um, I, their I don't skin color? Uh, yeah. Um, I'm not sure if you can change it uh, while they have already developed those, like they, are, yeah. they have reached a certain age. Um, uh, I, I'm not sure about that. Okay. Yeah. Now, how does this connect now to AI now? So, uh, this connects uh, because... Uh, when you are uh, when you are sending this particular, we call it a delivery vehicle. Yeah. That you uh, that a human being takes in, and then it goes into the cell, and it has um, um, it has kind of a signature mm -hmm. with which it understands where to go, and attach to the DNA. Yeah. Within those three billion letters. Okay. Yeah. And uh, <coughs> so what happens is uh, it's not really foolproof. So sometimes, uh, most of the time, it will have off-target effects. Like it will also change some other parts of the DNA. That's always the problem, right? That's always the problem. So uh, we we were trying to uh, find out if through machine learning we can uh, design the sequences in such a way yeah. that uh, they won't do this off-target editing. They will just stick to that one particular place. Subhanallah. So curing cancer in the future will have nothing to do with clinical testing, and everything to do with DNA AI, right? I mean, that's what, what it sounds like. The idea of come, come in and walk and let me look at you and let me test your temperature, all that stuff is extremely rudimentary. Yeah. You go straight to the cause now. And now they have the e even more advanced techniques where you can also insert sequences yeah. uh, into, these, into your own DNA. Yeah. Um, so what they are doing is uh, basically training these large models, just like they trained uh, ChatGPT. They are training it on the DNA uh, sequence, three billion letters. And then they are trying to generate sequences with which you can, if you can insert them into your DNA, you can permanently change uh, some disease state or things like this. Okay, okay, good. So these are all the like functional and, 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 and uses of AI that are c not consumer-based. No. This okay. is only within a specific field, yeah. right? So we, now let's shift over, let's shift back to the consumer. In your view, what is the number one thing that a regular person needs to be aware of, a heads up on how life is going to change with AI? Regular everyday life. When, the, when 2007 came and the smartphone came around, and then six months later, apps were downloadable from the smartphone, and amongst them were social media apps, then the world changed in one year. Right? Before that, a big revolution was YouTube. Anybody could broadcast themselves to the internet through YouTube. That was 2005. These are massive technological jumps. I mean, it's not even a, a, an invention. It's just the development of a technology. A jump that many people weren't aware that life would change drastically because of this. Mm -hmm. So if you want to, if I'm a somebody that, I'm a regular guy, I don't want to get caught off guard like I was last time with the smartphone. Give me the lowdown. What should I expect? How is it going to change life? I think uh, immediately right now, what people would see that lots of things would become much easier. That's what they would see. Like writing an email, you just have to tell it, I want to uh, reply to this email with this sentiment in such a way that this person doesn't get offended, even though I am uh, 
replying negatively to him yes, right? and I then see. it will it will generate this email for you yeah um your shopping uh, experience might get better um just because ai will learn uh, like it will it will i, I i'm most certain that google will use this to um target their advertising yeah like, more efficiently right now it's very inefficient um so 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 most of these uh, changes right now will be mundane um but uh, the bigger shifts um will happen uh, much later in my in my opinion um just because uh, the data that it's being trained on right yeah. now right now it's 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 just internet data and they are doing a lot of filtering on that data uh, because uh, so for example open ai the data that it trained on uh, it filtered it through um, cheap labor from kenya to remove like uh, text data about like um you know um incest porn like all these all these things that exist on these forums who's doing this uh open ai open ai is doing what so they are they are they are removing this text data through this uh cheap labor from kenya oh from their data set so that chat, so that chat gpt doesn't train on that otherwise, oh, I see, I see. otherwise it will also generate those data again because it's being trained oh, on i those. see okay so you mean manual removal manual removal and yeah, what happens right. is these uh, people are suffering from ptsd from doing this work which means what you mean like the 9 hour day exposure yeah, to exposure these. to these things so what does that actually mean when they're removing the data like they see a website they hit x like what does that mean physically so, physically speaking what is a guy doing on the computer so so i don't know specifically what they are doing but my guess would be they are, they are finding this text they are reading them and then text are, or websites text text from where from the internet all of I the see. internet okay it's probably been compiled on like some yeah some ui that open ai has created for them yeah, to re- review the information and then they're going through and you know clicking except so when they when they see certain keywords they delete that they couldn't create a software for that it might be it might be a little bit more nuanced than just seeing the keyword and deleting it maybe yeah. this is probably why it's manual right because what if it's a paper that's talking about the problems about rape right see, or yeah. the problems about incest so they need people to manually and this is why it's cheap labor these aren't phd's who understand you know the 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 nuances of all these discussions it's just okay is this does this sound like something that's bad about rape then yeah. you know let's let's exclude this or if this is controversial and i'm guessing there's probably a weighting factor to it it's not just like some binary yes or no answer it's like okay this is more problematic or less problematic and it's weighted based on something like this and these people are getting traumatized by exposure to rape incest and pornography 9 hours of their working day yep. this happens similarly even in other like content moderation like things like in facebook instagram all these places because they hire like people to manually go through many like controversial posts so for example let's say some big person uh i don't know donald trump posts something right yeah. it's not like some automatic you know reject or deny and as we know it's it's actually manually reviewed by somebody a human being who says whether that post is controversial or not controversial or yeah. where it's on the radar and if it should be allowed so yeah let's um let me ask you this Uh, let's take a shift. Who's in the lead? I think what I'm hearing is that Microsoft is in the lead because they purchased ChatGPT. Microsoft's in, Google is actually sweating. They're behind so, for the first time. Before this. we get to that question, I actually want to... Apple's in La La Land. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Before we get to that question, I think Nafiz will know this a little bit better, but I want to answer the last question as well, which is what are some of the functional issues that will occur? Yeah. Because I think day-to-day life. Yeah. A lot of emotional, a lot of people that I talk to, especially who don't understand product development, right? A lot of people might understand technology, right? Like, so for example, uh, GPT, uh, which is the, uh, you know, it's it's the it's the back end of chatbot, right? It, the the technology for this ha- existed almost a year ago. What you're seeing in chatbot, okay, yeah, it's a little bit more advanced. It's GPT 3.5, but it's still, it was still available for people to consume via their API for a you know a year now. But the normal public found out because some product team decided that, hey, we need to take this technology, put a nice interface on it and be able to show it to the people. So there is a difference between understanding things from a technological perspective, right? Which is, okay, here's the, the what the engineers understand. Here's what all the geeks and the nerds and stuff, they're building all this stuff, okay? And then there is this other level of understanding, which is, okay, how is this going to functionally impact and, and how do we bring this to society? So I think what people are a little bit myopic about is and short-sighted about is this idea that the growth of ai is exponential many people are very forgetful about when the first iphone came out i don't know if you remember it didn't have an app store yeah right it it, it was just like a basic iphone that doesn't mean that the first iphone didn't revolutionize revolutionize technology it was the first device that came out that combined the ipod the camera and the phone nothing had ever done that it, it blew people's minds, right? And as soon as they added the app store, it blew people's minds again, right? And in the beginning, I don't know if everybody remembers the apps were very rudimentary. You could do things like, you know, turn on a flashlight or you could do that lighter thing and people would be like, oh, look, I could turn on the lighter. It's so cool, right? But that was something that you couldn't do before. Yeah. And this is where we are in the stage of AI development. For, uh, there, there's advancements in AI, for example, there's, so GitHub, which is a, a repository created, you know, it's it's a code repository app management application. It's used by most uh, coders. Mm-hmm. They've, you know, as part of it, as part of their suite, they now included a new uh, technology called Copilot. It allows you to have a, a AI read your code, understand it, and it's based off of the same fundamental technology that Chatbot is. Read your code, understand it, and it codes with you. And I started using it, you know, two months back and it's already increased my productivity by 30 to 40%. And I know many people who are already using it. There are people who are writing, you know, they're, they're, I saw a bunch of posts of people saying, you know, I, I didn't have to go to my lawyer to write such and such things because I just had chatbot write it for me. I didn't have to do X, Y, and Z things because, you know, I was able to outsource it to the AI. Let's assume now, they've done it right. Well, it, it, it's irrelevant whether it's done it or right, the done it right or not, because people are still using it, right? Um, and so this is where the trick, the, the, the issue comes in, in in terms of like practical life. People keep saying that, well, what chatbot gives you isn't reliable, but I don't think anybody remembers when people were using Wikipedia and you would go to school or your, you know, or your college and your professor would say, hey, don't use Wikipedia, but people would still use Wikipedia anyway. Yeah. Right. And then they would just cross verify what was on Wikipedia to make sure that it was accurate. But almost every student that 
came after Wikipedia existed, used Wikipedia, said, oh, here's all the list of the sources that Wikipedia cites. Let me go cross-reference it, make sure it's accurate. But it was the starting point to begin your journey of analysis. Yeah. Right. And similarly, chatbot will be the same thing. People may not, you might say, oh, well, chatbot's not accurate. Well, that depends if you know the subject or not. If you know the subject, then it becomes a very good tool for you to use it to be able to you know, do research and do many other things. So it's a matter of let's look down the line because this version of chatbot, I mean, it's supposed to be updated according to OpenAI uh, to GPT-3 in the next quarter or two, right? And, and, and I'm sure it already exists. People have used the beta and it's far more advanced than the current version. So what happens when we begin this iterative phase and we get to more advanced versions of these? We need to think like two, three years down the line. And that's pretty, pretty fast, right? The, the, if anybody has looked at Midjourney, which is the image generation, and you go look at, there's a lot of videos out there now of what Midjourney was six months ago and what it is today, right? Six months ago, it wasn't able to you know, recreate a human being or anything as good as it is now. Now you look at it and there's people, there's artists, many artists complaining that, well, this kind of just eradicates, you know, a lot of the work that we were doing because people are able to take all this stuff. There's a lot of legal issues that are happening now. For example, nobody could in the past take a uh, painting, take, take an ima imaginary idea, say like a house on a hill and say, hey, I want this to look like how Hayao Miyazaki or Pixar Studios or... Uh, you know, some, some other artist uh, has, you know, made it look, you would have to hire somebody to do that. Now Midjourney can go and they and it can build that. So yeah. now there's all these legal troubles of, you know, is Pixar going to start coming down your, you know, coming down to you and saying, Hey, you're not allowed to use this because all of Midjourney, yeah. all of Midjourney was based on a catalog of images. And in those images, there were Pixar images and that's how it's able to create the Pixar. Let me ask you this then. Let me ask you this. Every painter, when he makes a painting, he walks through the Louvre, he looks at stuff, he gets inspired by 500 images, he produces an image. That image is based upon the 500 paintings you saw at the Louvre. What's the difference? There is a difference, but Nafiz, you want to take that one? Like, seriously, what is the difference between me looking through at all of your work, letting it settle in my mind? Then pushing it aside, then making my own thing. Clearly, it's going to look 25% like yours, 10% like yours, 25% like yours. What's the difference? Well, I would say that we see we're biased when we talk about this stuff, yeah. right? Because we have an epistemology of what good is, what truth is, what morality is, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the argument that's used by pro AI people is sorry, the argument that's used by anti AI people is well, a human being works differently. Right? A human being, when they walk into the Louvre and they see all these images and they see all these things, we don't have recall memory the way that a computer does. Right, When we recall something, we recall something based on events, based on interactions, based on things. So for example, if you told me, hey, we had a podcast with Alex in the past and this is what we were talking about. Okay, yeah. I'm going to remember the smell, the, the day. I'm going to remember what happened that day, what we were talking about. And then based on the context of that conversation, I'm going to remember one thing. And you know what? I'm not going to remember it exactly. It's going to be a little bit different. It's never going to be exactly like what it was before. A human being uh, doesn't, rem a human being remembers, right? A, a machine recalls information, right? That, that's the difference, right? And so uh, when the, it's very when the hard to legally like 
Yeah, and so when the machine, when the algorithm, it it looks at your prompt that says, hey, I want you to uh, make me an image of myself in the style of Da Vinci. Yeah. Right? It's now going to go and recall every single one of Da Vinci's paintings. Yeah. It's going to recall how that style of, you know, whatever Baroque art or whatever it was at the time, you know, was if, done, how that style of done. Yeah, go ahead. If an artist, if I told an artist, paint me the way Da Vinci would have painted me, he's going to click Da Vinci images. Look at all the Da Vinci images. Okay, he looks like he's doing this stroke here. He uses this color palette. He uses this background, blah, blah, blah. And then he commissions and he draws, the, makes the painting. It's The access is the same. So for these uh, apps to have mm -hmm. access to the internet, there's no way for an artist to say that you're you're ripping me off and you're basing it because of that. Any artist that I would have hired would have done the same thing. Yes, but it's different for the artist because somebody could argue that the artist took a lifetime to learn how to design and draw in the style of Da Vinci. If that's somebody a, that is a legal oh yeah argument. It's a, yeah well so if if a person it's not a legal argument it's an ethical argument right if a person can. This is why I think they're going to lose. They're going to lose to the AI people, right? Yeah. The, 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 because the AI argument is a very naturalist, materialist argument. They're going to win. But somebody could argue that this person that learned how to draw in the style of Da Vinci, if you're a Da Vinci impressionist painter, right? Yeah. Means that you are good at what you do. Because I can't do that. You can't do that. Random people can't do that. But I, if I can go in and, and write a prompt into mid-journey, it allows this power of creating impressionist paintings to everyone. Right before you had to spend a lifetime learning Da Vinci, studying Da Vinci, studying the art stroke, you know, the, the, the paint strokes and how all of these things are constructed. And you had to learn that and you had to practice it and you had to do it for years and years and years until you became very good at so it. So, this is a sympathy lawsuit yeah. to not put people out of a job, uh, right? I mean, the pro AI people would say the AI is just more efficient than a human. Yeah. It's not the AI's fault. That's true. Like, so, I mean, I, I may have had to practice dunking for five years. Then my neighbor comes along because he had better genetics and he's a foot taller. Right. Or, and then another guy comes along and he's a foot shorter than me. And so I domineer him. Is there unfairness here? What's the there, is, there is no way to win that argument yeah. as a anti AI person. Yeah. without bringing in another version of epistemology. I will tell you what every technology ends up, the society just out of mercy for the previous generation's uh, you know, work, slowing the technology down until you guys find another source of income, right? So when the typewriting came out, what do you think the Ottomans did? They flipped out. All those scribes flipped out. They said this should be banned. There's no way an idiot can come in and type Heather and it comes out in a beautiful script when it took me 30 years to be able to write that, right? It's the same exact thing. That's actually why the Ottomans didn't bring in the typewriters, right? Because yeah. it's not that they, they said that there's something inherently wrong with the typewriters. It's that yeah. we're now going to put all of these people out of jobs, right? These are these scribes that we and, have. And these scribes are so emotionally affected by that they come up with these arguments where the only real basis of it is that you just basically, essentially, all your years of training got wiped out in one second by me buying a typewriter and typing the book in the same exact 
script that you type it in and I put zero effort, literally. It seems unfair, but that's sort of what life is, right? It's z I'm putting in zero effort. That's what technology does. And that's what they call disruptors and all these, you know, these things out in the West Coast. But zero effort. And I'm doing the same exact thing that someone... Now, personally speaking, I don't like it. But I don't see a legal basis for it being illegal. Yeah, there's no legal basis. I mean, yeah, look. I don't like it. Because, I'd much yeah. rather go with the natural guy, who human, the human being who put the effort, but... Well, I mean, the reason you don't like it is based on your epistemology of like, oh, what is truth? What is goodness? What is all of these things, right? And and they don't, they're not bringing those things to the fore when it comes to a legal argumentation, of right? Course, it's, there's no, nothing legal. There's none, of, there's none of that there, right? Like, we're not going to go sit there and say, hey, you know, we believe that you know these the the effort and the work of these people matters right and this is we have to we have to favor humanity over the robot right we're not going to yeah. go around and say that today i think a legal argument uh, if it comes it comes from uh, based on the ownership of the data the ai is yes. being trained on being trained on so for example microsoft has already been sued uh, because of its copilot so it released copilot which helps software developers um, generate, yeah. generate code automatically right but it was trained on all of public code on GitHub. It's a repository. And all those public code, they are written by other people who, who um, haven't given explicit permission to use it for training. So, so that's why... The but you put it out in public. Is walking in a mall, if I walk in the mall, right? if I walk in the street for inspiration, and I get inspired, and I produce something, and I sell it, do those people who are in the public, who put their own shops, who put their own faces, their own stuff in public, they have a right to that money? No, they don't. So if I go and I say, take my, my thing and I say, go onto the internet, go on Safari, Google, whatever, Google, and get all the information you can. Then I produce a product with that information and I sell it. I'm using the public. I'm using the. I'm like walking in the street. I'm using the public. How is that a lawsuit? So, so the so the argument right. is, so, so so there is some basis. There is some basis for their argument, right? And and I think the anti AI people will hop on this argument because it suits their interests, right? Which is that hey, and and here's the flaw in the argument, and the problem with this argument is hey, let's say let's say they say well, Disney. The only right way you were able to get all of these images from Disney is because you were able to scrape the web and use copyrighted images that were not permissible for you to use. You didn't get explicit permission from Disney. Use what? No, I just use it for inspiration. No, no, no. But they would say that when, when you're generating an image, it's directly going in and using the data model and the data model itself is based on, uh, uh copyright images and so they would say that the data model itself is is wrong like you can't use it at all and so any image that's created from the data model is is illegal now here's the problem with this with this thing let's say they win on this which they might it now just allows people who have large amounts of data to collude amongst one another to make their own ai right so disney could just get together let's say it's a big company like uh Warner Brothers or Comcast or Disney or one of these larger media houses, they got together, they colluded with uh, uh, OpenAI or Google and said, hey, listen, 
we're willing to work with you as long as we have proprietary rights to this AI. If there's any ad revenue that comes from it, uh, like it has to go, it has to go to us 10% and we'll allow you to use uh, our enormous data set that includes, you know, our films. That's my data too, though. Well, I mean, that's stuff taken from my website. That's stuff taken from your website, from his website. Yeah, but you don't, you don't matter because you where can't does the chain sue. stop? But yeah, but it's not about that. You can't sue because you're not as big as Disney. Disney just has the manpower and the ability and the money to just tell you to be quiet, right? So it allows. It's not like these people are principled in the in this idea that oh, you know, we're just not going to allow it for anybody. Look, an armistice of AI is not happening. Yeah. Right, this whole idea. This is like the guns people. Well, people shouldn't have guns. Well, people have guns. What do you want to do about it? You're going to take everybody's guns. It's not going to happen. Yeah. You, we can sit here and argue all day whether That's guns. That's true. Matter, right? and, and I'm telling you, the the <laughs> argument is is as I said earlier, it, there are sympathy trials to keep. keep right. And and by the way, Sharia would recognize that. Sharia would recognize. Don't put people out of business. Of course, right? Sharia would recognize the for. for it's not who cares what your technology is. You're not allowed to just try to put someone out of business tomorrow. You have to slow this down somehow. Let's shift from this. Who are the leaders right now? Microsoft, Zuckerberg, so, Facebook, Apple's in La La Land, and who? So and Google. Main research organizations are Microsoft. Microsoft, because is that because they bought ChatGPT or they have their own? No, um, it's because of their partnership with Open. They have a partnership with Elon Musk. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Elon Musk was previously in what was in OpenAI, but yeah. he's not anymore. So, okay. so he's not anymore. Yeah, yeah. Fine. So, um, so they uh, then Google has uh, DeepMind. Yeah. Um, and then Facebook has uh, Fair. DeepMind, Fair. Yeah, F A I R. Yeah. What a terrible name. So, so, so <laughs> the the thing is, there's also large open source code repository, like open source models, right? Like, so for example, there's Stability, which is, you know, uh, Stability AI has, so for example, uh, the, if you heard of Stable Diffusion, it's the image generator that's from Stability AI. It's open AI, it's, it's open source. It's, uh, there's no, I mean, I guess there's a company that runs the open source, but it's not proprietary. You can use it, anybody can use it. And so there's always going to be these open source competitors. They're, they're competing with Midjourney and other, uh, you know, uh, top level tools now. So. It, it's going to slowly become the case where it doesn't matter how big you are. You know, if, if some open source team comes together and starts building things, then, you know, they have the same models. They can build the same things. Let's go to the question. They, uh, there are two questions I said. Uh, data, personal data, and then deep fakes. These are two questions that came up. So who wants to take that one first? The first one, uh, your data, personal data. What about uh, how is it affecting this? Like this is going to take our personal data being out there at another level. It's already at another level with with what we have now, but it's going to go to another level. Well, so most people most people always use this example to say that in the future your personal data and your information will be used to attack you. Yeah. No, that already happened ten years ago. Yeah. Right. This whole idea that you know, you're going to be targeted and your data is going to be used. No, no, that already happened to you. Mm -hmm. Many people listening on this stream 
are on this stream because they were zooming through Facebook or through Instagram and they saw the live icon that was there and it was targeted that they're Muslim and they're followers of Dr. Shadi or followers of me uh, or Nafiz. And based on this, they were targeted and shown that, hey, uh, these are the people that are on this live stream. You should join it. They already have your data. They already have your information. And look, let's say there's a lot of people who say like, well, I don't put my data out there. You think you don't, but you your metadata is, and a profile of you is composed pretty easily, right? Like for example, if I know, I can already uh, filter down the types of people that are in a specific area, right? A person that lives in New Brunswick is going to be distinctly different from a person that lives in Guatemala, right? We just know this most of the time. Now you're telling me that this person also has, is Muslim. This person is also friends with X, Y, and Z people. This person is a male or a female or a non-binary or whatever they are nowadays. Or, and this person is uh, X, Y, Z, ABC metadata. We have all this information. This is no personal information, right? They were able to, people say, you know, you can gather all this information from almost anybody on the internet. If you just know their name and you know where they live, you could probably find a lot of this information. Oh, they're a, if, if I can find it, then I can guarantee you that you know, agencies that are looking for this data can most definitely find it. Yeah, I think the what what uh, the internet did was actually make most of the FBI's search um, teams irrelevant because yeah, people people put, of... people put their own information on Facebook when they check in somewhere, right? They, this is why it was this is why it was so silly when people were posting that stupid picture of Greta Thunberg and saying that like Andrew Tate got caught because of the pizza box. It's like, well, no, they didn't need the pizza box. You think they're so yeah. like, these, these agencies needed a pizza box to find where somebody is? No, no, yeah. they, they know where you are. They know what you're doing, right? So they have tons of data already out there. But go ahead, Nafiz. I can't see you. So like, if there's no pro, there's no yeah. concept of visual cues to know if he wants to talk. Such a level that people, uh, the police can even search you through your DNA. Yeah. Basically, if they have a, they have your DNA, then they can search through these 23andMe databases. Yeah. And that's how they, they caught some serial killers from yeah. the 70s and 80s recently. So you think that uh, your data is not there, but your innermost data is already out there. Yeah. So the question just becomes, who's using it and how? Yes. Because when they when they put up when I say something like, I need to get. Um, I need, I need to get some batteries. And then I find on my Amazon suggestion is batteries. You did me a favor, to be honest with you, right? You did me a favor. So I don't even I have no problem with that. We're going to have a problem where it goes into other levels, right? And that's what people are always nervous about. Well, you can get real philosophical on this really quickly, but for example, I, I'm pretty, anti-tech, even though I'm, I work in tech, I do tech, you know, I know all these things, yeah. but I, I don't have any smart devices in my house, right? I don't have uh, whatever Alexa. I don't have a smart thermostat. I don't have, you know, smart printers. I have no such devices in my house, right? Other than my laptop. And this is probably the most advanced. I have a laptop and an iPad, right? But I don't have other things that are listening. I don't have Siri turned on on my phone. And somebody might say, well, aren't you being contradictory? You just said they know everything. So then what's the, why, why are you trying to hide everything? I'm not trying to hide everything. It's my right to privacy. Don't you use curtains on your house? Do you want everybody to see what's going on in your life? It's your right to privacy. I don't want people listening into my stuff. And I assure you, 
people do listen. I work on this stuff. I, you know, I, uh, I build this stuff. Regular, normal employees are listening in on your personal conversations at home. Most definitely. <laughs> oh, you're saying humans, not just, it's not just being gathered. Yeah, yeah. Even humans, let alone the, the, the AI, the AI is definitely listening, yeah. but like the humans are also listening. Oh, actually, I didn't realize that. So um, I didn't realize even that humans have access to this. Like, I know that it all goes into some data center, right? Most definitely. Yeah. They do have access. Yeah. Really? Humans, yeah. So tell us more about that. I mean, uh, so basically, uh, they would have different le levels of classification, right, in these uh, companies. So uh, some people will have access to class one, two. Some will have access to class higher level classes. Mm -hmm. And um, so for the, uh, for the top accounts in the social media companies, uh, they will uh, ha have certain amount of employees assigned to just handle these top accounts. Um, and they, and they, 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 they have access to all of that information from there. They can even listen in uh, to their phones. Um, that's how actually Saudi, um, Saudi Arabia actually, uh, that's why they bribed, that's how they bribed two employees at Twitter to yeah. take down their opposition, uh, um, oppositions on Twitter. Really? And, and yeah, they, 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 they supplied them with all of their Twitter information internal that internally wow. they had. And they later got, uh, I think, arrested by FBI or something. Oh, really? Wow. I remember we had, uh, Moeen did an experiment one time and started talking about luxury car, uh, supercars. What was it? Supercars, bags, luxury bags, luxury, luxury uh, women's handbags. bags, like uh, you know these thousand dollar handbags. Just ch chatting about it with his phone off. It only took about a day or like two three, days. It was like three, four days. Yeah, and so I tried to figure out why this happened because yeah. I don't have. This was about seven years ago, right? Yeah. At that time, this stuff wasn't as prevalent, and at that time, I didn't have. Siri turn. I, I mean, anybody that knows me knows I don't use Siri. I don't have any of that turned on. Yeah. My wife didn't have Siri or anything turned on. I had no application that was listening, but the only application I had was WhatsApp. And you, you, you actually explicitly grant permission for the microphone on WhatsApp to do voice notes. Now, what WhatsApp and Facebook claims that they don't listen outside of that, and it's only when you press that button that they have access. But I, I can no longer trust these organizations and what they're saying that they do, right? It's yeah. uh, now, now, could you say that that's illegal? Could you sue Facebook if you, if you found out? Yeah, sure. If you found out and you could make a case against it and sue them, then yes. But until somebody brings that up and actually does it, then, you know, they're listening. What? Don't you think some application like TikTok is listening? Anybody who is listening to the stream, if you have TikTok installed on your phone, please delete it. If you have Facebook Messenger on your phone, please delete it. If you want to use it, go on a desktop and use it. They're most definitely spying on you. <laughs> if you have kids and they are using TikTok, you should remove. If you you should make them remove it. Yeah. Yeah. TikTok is the is the TikTok is the number one enemy right now of of any kind of human decency. In terms of the content <laughs> or in terms of the taking the information. In terms of the content and also it's 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 a Chinese spyware. So basically, yeah. they they, tar they are targeting the American youth, yeah. and they are trying to bring all sorts of degeneracy. So they are using TikTok to convert these uh, children, teenagers, yeah. to all these you know LGBTQ stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. A, it's a, it's one of the number one converter. Yeah, TikTok We're is banned in China. What's that? TikTok is banned in China. They made wow. it and banned wow. it in China. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to deep fakes now. Deep fake technology is gone is 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 in a sense amazing but it's actually terrible at the same time if you don't know what a deep fake is for those listening the deep fake is the uh ability to to 
mash up a person's voice, mouth, facial expressions, and make a full video of the person saying something they never said. Now, this has been around for a while, and I remember Key and Peel was that their was that what they're called? Yeah. They made one of Obama trashing Trump, which was just hilarious. And Obama was saying stuff you know in the beginning it's 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 fine, right? They get they get you slowly. Then eventually they start making Obama say things that you know he would never say, right? Uh, and it was hilarious, but it was scary in that the video looks so real. And then the starting point of that, or that was a starting point of the of saying that very soon video evidence will have to have support a video by itself should mean nothing to people let me bring you another situation for that this has nothing to do with deep fakes but there was a kid one time who seemed it seemed was harassing an old native american beating his drum yeah and it seemed like the kid was staring him down whereas the fact the truth was the exact opposite the kid was given his speech, which he was his right to give, and then the Native American came up to him and started beating the drum. So there's two aspects. There's one aspect of the false clippings, the uh, misleading clips, but this is another level. We're not even talking about misleading clips, out-of-context clips. We're talking about literally the person never uttered a single word of this, and the technology to get to doing this is going to eventually someday be one of these fun apps that these these experimental apps that they release for fun and everyone will just type in um Barack Obama uttering the shahada right so and so um you know cursing somebody else and then these models are already there they're already there they just haven't trickled down to the everyday user so talk to us about that let's go to fees first then moi um so the the uh the main point of discussion here is uh, not the technology, but how people are, how quickly people are getting used to it. Yeah. So, uh, so suppose uh, right now a clip comes out uh, of Biden saying something, um, uh, a random anonymous clip in the forums that came out, and he's saying something really, uh, uh, really, really, you know, controversial. Yeah. Um, most people right now would believe it. And and it um, even if they claim that okay it was it, it was a deep fake, yeah. um, uh, I don't think that would fly, because because that because it's it's the the technology is just not out there. Yeah, but uh, not enough people know about. Not it. enough people know about it. Whereas exactly. everyone knows about um, Adobe, you know, photoshopping something. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So 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 once uh, th these models are like productionized, yep. like they are in apps, different apps where you are using them for like innocent, innocuous mm -hmm. uses, um, then they will be much more. It will be much more difficult to uh, decipher them. Yeah, and, and then you're going to need forensic AV guys to be able to tell us that this what's a deep fake and what's real. Mm -hmm. You're going to need like forensic editors. Forensic means going to the bare granular little. Uh, smallest possible identifiable trait in something. So you have forensic accountants, and then forensic then, scientists, yeah. everything. Yeah. Uh, on, on on the other hand, uh, people will also come with like come up with like reverse models. Yeah. Where they will uh, be able to like predict if this video was like, if it was a real clip or it yeah. was like generated by another model. So, so, so we have to see how that, uh, yeah. how those two phases uh, phases each problem. other. Yeah. So, so, could you repeat that part? 
So so it will be like a reverse model yeah. where the model takes in a video and then it can predict like whether it was a genuine clip or it was it was generated by another AI model. Ah, uh, I see. Yeah. So that's what we're going to need. And for example, ChatGPT right now, kids have already gotten around that. There is an app that can identify if your essay was made by ChatGPT, but youth have already gotten around that by throwing it into Google Translate, put it into Spanish, copy that, paste it into Spanish, translate that to English, you lose all that. Mm-hmm. Throw in a couple of your own words, yeah. and the kid probably end up spending another hour of work, right? <laughs> to avoid 40 minutes of work, right? Anyway, but it's easier work. So, <laughs> Moin, your take on this, on deep fakes. Deep fakes will soon not be, a video will not be sufficient evidence in legal court, but in the court of public opinion, it's going to be a disaster for a lot of people. Yeah, so yeah. I think, uh, let, let's go back a little bit on on the, the history of deepfakes, yeah. uh, because I think there's something even more nefarious here than just the idea of like this legal criminate, incrimination evidence and all yeah. that stuff. And I think Nafis covered that pretty well. Deepfakes originally started with pornography, right? Because it it started off of, a, I think, some, some Reddit forum or some 4chan forum, um, where somebody made a video of a celebrity and it was based on uh you know them doing the act or whatever and it was uh a deep fake right and it started from that and the growth of the deep fake technology actually happened from porn right people wanted to put their celebrities in various different porn videos and based on this they wanted to build it there's actually a saying in technology that if you really want to see the most advanced technology out there go to the porn industry because they have the most money and the most uh people working you know anybody who wants to work on that stuff i mean yeah you have to be a little bit degenerate to want to work on it but they have a lot of funding and a lot of money to build this stuff but what becomes very nefarious is this idea of deep fakes being used to place people in any sort of situation, right? It might not even be legally incriminating, right? But would you want a picture of, you know, yourself in like this, you know, sexual escapade that somebody has? Would you want a picture of your your children, your daughters, your mothers, your sisters, any of these types of things? People, by the way, uh, one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen in my life is there is a, there was a secret subreddit of people who had made fake images using random Muslim sisters' pictures, and it was like for masturbation material, and they like unclothed them and put them on, you know, uh, different different people, right? Most disturbing thing I've seen. But they used like this real swap technology. There's a bunch of these other AI tools out there to make it look almost, you know, make it look very realistic, right? You wouldn't be able to tell. And so there was actually a version of stable diffusion called unstable diffusion, which... Well, what's stable diffusion in the first place? Stable diffusion is an open source uh, image generation uh, tool like Midjourney or Dali, Dali or any of these tools. So stable diffusion is the open source version. And there was unstable diffusion, which was the open source version to create pornography right? Uh, to just create naked images. So you could say, hey, I need a naked image of X actress or Y actor. And, and you would say like, I want them in this position and it would give it to you. Yeah. Right now there was work being done and this, this project got shut down and you can't find it now. I'm sure it probably exists somewhere and people are working on it. Right. But there was an effort to be able to upload your category, your category of images and say, Hey, here's this entire like folder I have of these women that I like, 
you know, can you, can you generate an image of these women and myself doing such and such thing? And it will generate it for you, right? This is something that's even more nefarious, right? And, and it could be with regards to not even legally incriminating. You could use it to place anybody anywhere at any time, right? This yeah, is what this, this can't be used. You need forensics to, to undo this, right? Now, so this is where like there can be a legal claim made where, okay, this if this causes harm to specific individuals, do you need to get consent before you can use somebody's picture online inside of this database? Yeah. I don't know, right? So, uh, well, so, so the court, so the, one of the reasons that this technology actually, we actually sort of need it to, to, to speed up in terms of the trickle down because the court of public opinion is still not there yet. Like not enough people know about deep fakes. You could easily destroy someone's life on a deep fake right now. Cause not enough people know it's a deep fake, right? So, and the saying it's a deep fake wouldn't even be plausible or believable, right? So it's it's in everyone's best interest that this knowledge, at least of the of deep fakes, trickles down to everybody, so everyone knows it. So then eventually, all certain types of videos will be cast aside, right? Will not be treated as evidence. Unfortunately, I think that's only going to happen for a short period of time. And this is this is me being a little bit pessimistic, yeah. but you can see that the Overton window on degeneracy has shifted a lot over the last you know 15 years what was considered yes. something like pornography in 1980 is now considered like pg-13 material right like that's yes. it's considered nothing right you have decent people right even people like you and i who have probably watched like a normal tv show and it's has like you know explicit content that probably would be considered pornography in 1995 right uh, like the the overton window on what is acceptable has shifted so far that I'm afraid that even if something like this comes out and there's deep fakes of regular people, I'm afraid that most people will be like, well, it's obvious there's going to be deep fakes of me out there. Somebody's, you know, making images and videos of me and using them. Yeah. I'm afraid that that, that is going to be like, well, it's like, well, that's obvious. That's what you get with technology. I'm afraid that that's. No, going to I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's people are just going to capitulate to that stuff. But all at the same time, the we're still at the point where a clip, a video clip, can destroy someone's life yes and there's and and we haven't yet seen a situation where someone responded and said no no that's a deep fake like we had do we have have we had a scandal like that where a scandal literally stops in its tracks because the person said it's a deep fake i mean part of the reason probably is just the technology is like not really at that that point where yeah. it's like convincing uh, like yeah it's convinced it's, it's not convincing yeah. yet like it still it still has glitches. But you know that yeah. like at the rudiment more rudimentary things, such as a tweet, you can easily tweet something, crop your text out, put it on someone else's tweet, and then sh and then share that on a different platform altogether. You will have people for years thinking that attributing the that that fake tweet to that other person. Oh yeah, leftist websites all use that. Yeah, all, they do all this the all time, the time. You know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, there's, I'll, actually, I'll, there's actually there's uh, actually something I don't I don't want to get bogged down into philosophy here but there, there's actually a postmodernist uh, philosopher by the name of Jean Baudrillard the, the the Matrix movies were actually made on some of his philosophy right that you have these levels of simulation in the world 
and you can reach a point. So he, he brings this story that you have, a, you have the, the world, right? And you have this empire. And in this empire, the king decided to hire some cartographers and they decided to make a map of this empire. And eventually they made this map and it was so large that it covered the entirety of the empire, right? And it, this is how big this map was. And eventually what happens is that the terrain, the, the empire that it was based on, it withered away and it disappeared. And now all you're, all you're left with is the map itself. And so then when people a hundred years later, they come and they say, oh, well, this is what the empire is. Well, they're not looking at the empire. They're looking at the map itself. They're looking at this, but what he calls a simulacra. You're, you're looking at this you know, representation of reality, but it's not reality, right? And that's what the Matrix movies were kind of about, right? Which is you have this reality, but it's not really the real thing. And so, so I don't think this thing that you're talking about is going to become plausible until we reach a stage at which we reach hyper-reality, which is there are certain things which are more real than the real almost, right? Which is people trust the, the, the image or the video or the thing that's there more than they do the real person because they're gonna say, well, how can we trust you? You're just a guy, but we can trust the data. We can trust the machine. We can trust all of the history of everything that's there in your data and we can verify it. And here's all these things. Here's, this is what your doctor said. This is what your mother said. This is what X, Y said. This is where you were. This is what's happening. You're telling me you're not in the video, but all evidence shows that this is you in the video. Well, we, we already have that in a sense uh, through DNA. The most honest person in the world could tell you, hey, I wasn't there. And then so said, so, well, your DNA is all over the doorknobs. Your DNA is all over the, uh, the pillow, right? Mm -hmm. And we're going to choose the DNA. Most people will believe the DNA over the person. And what are you going to do in the situation where someone says, you know, I wasn't there, but they say, well, the data shows that you were. Yeah. Well, what data? Well, let's say somebody, let's say DNA. Example. Because if somebody's making a fake video, right? Yeah. I'm imagining along with this fake video, they probably did other things, right? Because in the future, let's say somebody's trying to make a fake video to impersonate someone or incriminate someone, they're also changing like where they were at a certain location or how that happens. And there's data points that you're they're also messing with. So somebody could look at it and say, well, the evidence is there. It's saying that you're here and all the data points to the fact that you were there. So yeah. your, your word and the word of your witnesses is yeah. not as strong as the data. So this, this is an issue. So we covered some of the basic facts on how AI works. We covered who's in the lead okay, with AI. We covered some of the medical, um, which I think is going to be the, the biggest, right? Curing leukemia and, and using AI uh models uh generated models for that that type of work is going to be probably the biggest and most important advancement and then we talked about some of the practical aspects of life um including data our, our personal data being out there deep fakes not being sound evidence for anything eventually uh so i think we're gonna get in another chat in another discussion we need to have we need to talk about the metaverse and how that's going to affect people psychologically and how that's going to affect their view of actual reality in the world, right? So uh, we need to have these tech, tech uh, conversations like once every two months to stay up to date because you can't be behind the eight ball in these things. You got to be ahead of it, uh, ahead of the curve. And uh, so with that, uh, you guys can hang out and stay out. Let's turn it to the audience here. Let's turn it to everybody who has a comment or question on 
Instagram. If you're on Instagram, you could still listen in, but you can also watch the video on YouTube, the full video on YouTube. And let's start going to any questions that we have. All right. Um, we have Nefis Hamid here, but we have Nafiza Hamid. Any relation? Oh, Nazifa. Whoops, I misread it. Okay. Oh, your sister, mashallah. So they, your parents chose you, named you Nafiz and Nazifa. Okay, is this a game? Right? <laughs> Where the, is, a, is it a play on... Uh, okay, so... All right, let's go to comments and questions here. If you're having depression, Melody21 says, just wait. All right, you know, just wait when the we everyone's on the metaverse right when you take that off this world will seem to you to be less colorful less everything and especially when they put up the haptic bodysuit in which like you would be able to shake someone's hands in the metaverse and you would feel it they would tap you on the back you would feel it they would touch you in a pleasurable way you would feel it um where's depression going to go then when you take that off of somebody that's going to be a, a a crack addiction, basically, or heroin addiction. Let, let me ask okay. you a question. Yeah. Um, VR. So let me ask you a question, okay? Yeah. If I asked you a, to draw me a princess, what mm-hmm. would you call me? What's, repeat? If I asked you to draw me a princess, yeah. what would you draw? Probably a Disney princess is on my mind, right? Exactly. Like, is, it, is Snow White a princess, Cinderella princess? So your idea of what a princess is has already been, you know, influenced, right? The immediate shock. Princess, yeah, the immediate shock. Yeah, because yeah. What, you, what you think about a princess, like it, you're unable to even comprehend the reality that there could be some other version of a princess that isn't like Belle or Cinderella or whatever these Disney princesses are, yeah. right? So people think that they're going to go into the metaverse, and they're going to enter this simulation and start believing all these things. No, no, you already believe all those things. Yeah. This is the whole point of understanding like today's today's world, right? Yeah. You've already been fed all of these beliefs and these ideas. This is just another level of the simulation, you could say, yeah. right? Uh, you're already in the simulation, right? You believe what a princess is, what love is. If I ask you what love is, you'll tell me like, oh, you know, some X, Y, and Z movie. You'll tell me Gone with the Wind, this, 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 and that, right? This is love, Romeo and Juliet, what Shakespeare so you're, you're saying we've been influenced from the outside in. You, yeah, th- these, yeah. Th- 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 by the strangers, level, really. Yeah, by strangers, by ideologies that have kind of, you know, taken a hold of people and now they believe all these things. But anyways, yeah, so I don't want to yeah. get too into that. But yeah, the metaphor. Uh, an immediate, uh, immediate example would be like if you are a heavy social Facebook or Twitter user and if you have friends there um, and you haven't met them for a long time, you yeah. already have a certain kind of image of them, yeah. like of what they are, what's their favorite thing, mm-hmm. how they are acting. Yeah. But, that, but that would be probably completely uh, different from what they really are yeah. in, the, in, the, in the real life. Yeah, it's good. And, and the more someone, the more that there's a separation of the online person and the on-site person, the more weirdness is going to develop. Like, for example, there's a lot of people that are, they're in the real world and they're online at the same time, right? There's a lot of people like mm-hmm. that. So there's probably going to be more consistency between their online and their on in the real world. Once you yeah. have someone with no on uh, real world footprint out there, but a ton of online presence, you know that, that that online presence becomes less and less reliable. So the question is the reliability of the ability to assess character or assess the person. 
if there's a big gap between your online presence and your real world presence, we're going to say your online presence is not reliable. Whereas when there's a lot of online and on and real world, it's probably your online is a reliable reflection of you. The one piece of advice I can give for most people with regards to AI coming. Okay, it's coming. It's inevitable. Whether it's going to affect your job or not. Yeah, I, I, can, I can give you a plethora of advices. Like if you're in this field, you could do this. You could probably find all that stuff on the internet too, right? But one unconventional piece of advice that you're not going to find on the internet that, you know, I, I've understood just from, you know, our uh, understanding of the world as Muslims is the way that we understand the world now is so convoluted and impacted from all these like random ideologies, the one thing you can prepare for, for the next version of the simulation, as we could say, you know, when the AI comes and, you know, the world is impacted from all this stuff is prepare yourself mentally, spiritually, right. Emotionally for the things that are going to be coming. Right. So for example, I'll give you some very dangerous example. Yeah. Someone starts putting in, uh, to a, Fiqh bot, let's say there's a Fiqh bot out there, right? Somebody, and we can probably make this now, I'm sure some organization like Yakin is already working on this, right? Yeah. There's an AI Fiqh bot where you can go ask this question. And in this Fiqh bot, somebody, it, as part of the data, one of the chains of one of the hadith was missing, right? Yeah. And then over time, people stop memorizing the chains and all they remember is that they're getting this information from this Fiqh bot. Now people start learning from this Fiqh bot and eventually it comes that People don't actually know the original chain for this hadith, right? You're going to enter into a world where, you know, it's it's going to be really difficult to differentiate between what is truth and what is false, right? Yes. And so like that's where, you know, clinging well, on to the rope of a lie is critical. That's good. No, that's a good point. Here's another point. Uh, there's going to be a massive disconnection. If we think that a 17-year-old today is disconnected from a 60-year-old, Right. And that 60-year-old, he's going to say to his, let's say his grandson, eh, when I was young, we used to ride our bike and knock on the doors of our friends to come out and play, right? right. And the 17-year-old is like, or the 12-year-old is like, what, what is this, right? Uh, am I going to hear these stories from ancient times? Uh, that gap, we have to be ready. If you don't go on, if you don't want to go on to VR and live on VR, there will be a generation that does live on VR. That generation is coming. I really believe that that generation is coming because Facebook is not going to rename its operation Meta without really knowing full well that they're headed to the metaverse, right? Where you can go and they're going to create a whole metaverse uh, and, and the haptic technological suit, give that another 20 years. And people will spend five and six and eight hours a day at a time. Now, if you choose not to become a crack addict, because that world will be addictive, okay? and you choose not to be on it, well then be ready to have a very massive gap between you and the next generation, right? That's something that we have to think about. To what degree is that gap okay? To what degree is that gap dangerous? And to what degree do we literally just check out of life? It's easy to check out of life. It's much harder than when someone says, that's your grandson. They need right. you, right? And that's where I think people who have families are gonna get pulled, they're always pulled into adapting. People who don't have families don't have to adapt because I don't, I don't need to worry about the other people's kids, right? And adapting means that you're going to be someone in their 40s and 40s and 50s almost looking like a child putting on these goggles 
and learning what this world is all about, right? Is that, mm -hmm. but I don't want to look at it from this standpoint. I'm a person who's going slowly towards the afterlife. Do I really want to do that? Let's say I'm 60 years old. Do I really want to, do I have the energy and the temperament, right? To give, give your grandson a pep talk in the middle of the Yeah, exactly. Do I have the temperament to, to learn a brand new life-altering technology at that age? That's the those are the questions that are going to come up. And the second thing is I really think it is going to be like a drug. If the cell phone is a drug right now and you still have all your periphery vision around you, imagine the metaverse. And imagine now next generation. The next Elon Musk is going to put the metaverse in a little chip in your brain. And you're going to see that without goggles. I pray the Mahdi comes before that. So I'm not to get to that, but you know. <laughs> but it's important. I think it's it's critical. I, I think it's critical to actually uh, be ready because a lot of people, their life gets disrupted just because technology came in and took their next generation away from them. And they didn't know how to figure, they didn't know, you know, how, how to manage this. Right. Go ahead. said uh, from the fees could we potentially use CRISPR to end neurodivergency as in we change how the brain develops once the symptoms of autism and ADHD come um, so, so the critical part is basically to find out what to change that's the uh, most difficult part so um, the problem with these diseases are especially uh, neurodegenerative diseases um, is finding what is really causing that disease. Most of the times it's not really a single gene. So there would be like many, many uh, multiple genes that work together to cause these diseases. Um, so, so, so then it becomes a problem like what to change. Um, and like um, you have lots of genes, like where to change. You, can, you, you cannot ideally change like all of them, right? Um, because those genes have their own functions also. Mm. Uh, so it's the, basically the, the, the hard part of the research is like what is causing it. And for, the, for uh, like diseases like ADHD, uh, schizophrenia, we have like 20 years of research. Like it's still uh, like most of the drugs haven't worked uh, just because uh, um, we haven't really found a really causal connection between a gene and, uh, and those diseases. Mm. Let's see. Good question. Uh, yeah, so you, you have to have certainty on the causal, the gene that's causing it, mm -hmm. and the side effects. Mm -hmm. You can't just pull out a domino and yeah. replace it and then imagine there's going to be no side effects. Human beings, they're all, we're all one, yeah. right? So that's why playing around with this stuff does have issues. And probably the people with, who are about to die are going to be the ones who put themselves up Right, they're gonna. They're at the last thread. They're the ones who are gonna be willing to be part of these experiments, right? Actually, just recently a paper came out where, yeah. like, uh, they studied uh, the cells of six uh, yeah. patients who already died, um, Alzheimer patients. Yeah. And they, like, from that study, they found um, a particular gene, like that has been like really, um, um, it was it was producing extra protein in yeah. in the diseased patient's brain. So, yeah. I'm gonna close out by saying that. I think it's extremely important for everyone to go get a book called Virtues of Seclusion. 
right? Virtues of seclusion and seclusion for us in our world, it levels out your brain, levels out your heart, it levels out your priorities. And seclusion is not any longer me going out to hang out with people. Seclusion is seclusion from stimuli, tech stimuli. That's, that is the, the seclusion of our day and age. Cutting off technological stimuli. That's our seclusion, right? Today, in the old days, going out and chit-chatting with people was your stimuli. That today has been so downgraded, and all we have is the constant digital stimulation. Cutting that off is our version of seclusion. And I believe every person at a certain time, let's say you do a practice like 7 or 8 p.m., and you just, boom, I don't care who calls, who texts, what happens in the world. If a meteor hits the, hits the world, I don't care. I'm going to put all my phones in the car and my computer and my iPads in the car, and I'm just going to enjoy the rest of the evening. We also need to know as human beings what dizzies us and what makes us upset and what throws us off balance is not having a direction. I remember there was a sheikh who used to have a casket in his house, in his room. He had a prayer room with a casket. When he would go there, it would level out because he'd feel like, okay, that's where I'm headed. Nothing else matters except the scoreboard at that moment. Right? And that actually used to wash away a lot of his humum and humum. The concerns, anxieties, fears, past, present, future. It washes away because this is, not only this is this the only thing that matters, this is the one thing that's a worldwide guarantee. No human being will ever dispute that you're going there and now let's assess who has something that's going to tell us what's going to happen when we go down there and the only real answer is is nothing or heaven and hell is there really a third answer no one really believes the hindu stuff right no one's buying into that you come back in a different form no i don't think so okay and even that is based upon righteousness i think right so that to me is the great balancer, the great stabilizer, is that casket right there. All your decisions eventually have to go through that filter. It's a binary. Am I going to do this or not? Does it benefit my afterlife or not? Right, and that's the stabilizer. So when we talk about this stuff, it's an it's a bombardment of information. It's a bombardment of stimuli. And seclusion and remembrance of death ultimately is the great wiper away and washer away of all the excess that can make a person dizzy, lose focus, um, addicted to these things. And this thing is going to dislodge all those addictions, inshallah ta'ala. So we will stop here, inshallah, today. Uh, and tomorrow we'll give more time for open QA. All right, because today we spent time on open AI. So um, get the book Virtues of Seclusion in the times of confusion uh, virtues of seclusion in times of confusion from meccabooks.com support the live stream at patreon.com forward slash safina society and with that we will see you all tomorrow inshallah subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik ashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruk wa natubu alayk wa al-asr inna al-insana lafi khusr illa al-ladhina aminu wa aminu al-salihat wa tawasu bil-haq wa tawasu bil-sabr والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته